How you guys doing? Who recognizes this symbol? Raise your hand. I want to see a high. Raise your hand if you recognize that symbol. Not just, okay, you know what it means because I put it up there. Okay, and what kind of things have you seen this symbol on? Cars. Okay, what else? Okay. I wasn't sure if you guys are too young to know about this. It's not as popular as it was back in the day. But anyway, okay, that was my little survey question. Did you guys see that wall back there? The metal one? And you guys, you guys know how we've been making you wear those name tags you love? Yeah? Um, <laughs> no, some of you are no. Uh, we want to start something. We want to see your guys' names up there. So rather than just pulling it out and throwing it in the trash after service, uh, we want you to slap it up there. It's going to be our sticker wall, all right? Not on the paint, but on the silver board. Sound cool? And then over like weeks to come, we're going to keep making you guys do name tags because it's great. And now we know your names and you know each other's names and there's so many new people. So uh, just after service, we just want you to slap it up there. All right. All right. Sounds good. Um, do you guys know why we worship? Like why we, I mean, we spent a good amount of time. We usually spend about 20 to 25 minutes worshiping, right? That's a good amount of time. That's a significant amount of time. Uh, but know that it's not a a thing that we just do by repetition. Oh, well, that's just what you do at church. No, it is an opportunity for you to give back to the Lord. You know, he actually likes and loves to hear your voice. Did you know that? He wants to hear it. That he loves to hear, even if it's just internally, that, that praise and adoration from your heart. The Bible describes that uh, the, the singing, the prayers of saints, you and me, are like a sweet-smelling aroma to God. The idea is that he loves it. And it's an opportunity for you to, to worship and connect with him. The amazing thing about God, even what, you know, Caitlin mentioned that, you know, just from worship, she just had this sense of joy, like kind of like what we talked about last week, that God is so good that when you try to bless him and you're like, God, I want to give you the praise. I want to give you my worship. God says, well, I want to bless you in return. And now not always. You're not always going to come to church and feel like worshiping God. But guess what? God is always worthy of it. And so I love hearing you guys sing, but more than I do, God loves it. Okay? So you determine in your own heart that when I come to church, I'm not just going to worship, well, this is what you do, so I'm going to sing. No, I want, God, I want to give you thanksgiving. I want to recognize your position in my life. And even if I, oh, I don't like that song, I'm going to worship you anyway. And that's me showing my worship, appreciation, and my devotion to you. Cool? It's awesome. And then God blesses us return. And it's like the, the most joyful thing. If you can learn to fall in love with worship, it'll change your entire life. All right? And if you are feeling resistant to worship, that usually tells me, which doesn't matter what I think, it matters what he thinks. But if you're like, man, I just struggle with this. How's the rest of your life look? Because it's very hard to worship only one day if your life is not living a life of worship. If you don't really know Jesus during the week, it's gonna be foreign. It's gonna be something weird when you come to church. You're like, wait, I haven't been connecting with Jesus all week. And, now, and it's going to be a harder thing. But when you live a life of worship, when you're thinking about Jesus, it's going to be a natural overflow where you're like, God, I, I'm, I have to sing to you because you're such a good God in my life. Make sense? It's awesome. I do want to remind you guys, um, right behind uh, DJ there in the back is a white box that says tithes. Uh, yeah, he, he's our nice presenter today. Uh, 
we're not passing around the bag church-wide. This is not happening as we normally would. We'd give you guys that opportunity to worship God as well. Um, And so if in your own heart, between you and God, you find, okay, I want to give this amount to him, whatever amount it might be, that's between you and the Lord. Uh, But that's another way where we show appreciation to God. And you're like, well, I don't get, I don't get paid. Well, do you have an allowance? Do you have any money? Do you have any source of income, even if it's little? We are to give some of that back to God as Christians and, and not out of obligation. Oh, I have to. If we're like that, if we put in like, oh man, I really wanted this dollar to buy candy from this snack. Well, I'm just going to, I guess I'll put it in there. Won't get it. Then God says, keep it. But if you want to have a heart that says, God, I want to worship you. I want, I want to show you how thankful I recognize that every dollar I have, every penny I own is because of you. Then you give a little bit to him. Okay. And so you can do that before, after service, or uh, kind of any time during worship. You can go back there and just, just drop it in. That's between you and the Lord. Cool? Sound good? All right. So that's, that was my little introduction for today. Our title of the message today is Not of This World. Uh, I, I remember when this was really popular, this symbol. Uh, I remember I definitely still have a shirt or two in my closet. Um, and I love it because it is a symbol of the Christian, that you and I, right, are not of this world. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to end John chapter 15, and we're even going to look today at the first four verses of chapter 16. Sound good? Do you guys know what it means to get blindsided? You guys ever heard that phrase before? To get hit with something without knowing that it's coming, not knowing what to expect. You know, they say, I don't know if you're a big boxing fan or UFC, they say the worst knockouts happen when the other boxer didn't see the punch coming. Or some really bad accidents, right, happen when someone gets T-boned and, 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 and the other person was unaware of those things. Uh, or what about some nasty football tackles? You guys ever see some nasty football tackles? Will someone gets blindsided? Kind of like this? Oh, it's pretty good. Oh, man. You just watch, you just watch these all day. Oh, man. Football's great. Football is so great. But you guys understand, right? This is what it looks like to get blindsided. Well, what you and I are going to look at today is that Jesus doesn't want his disciples to get blindsided. That while Jesus has been here on earth, he's been taking the hits, right? The Pharisees, the world, they've hated him. He's been the one taking the hits. But Jesus, remember, is leaving. And he knows that the disciples are going to begin taking most of those blows. And so Jesus seeks to prepare them for the tough hits that they will experience from the world. That's what we're going to see today. Last Sunday, we looked at Jesus's desire for the disciples to have his lasting and fulfilling joy. Do you remember that? We looked at John chapter 15, verse 11, and that we looked at how Jesus exhorted them to abide in his word um, and to abide in his love by keeping his commandments. We talked about how in, in, in losing our lives for Jesus, that's where we find them. And he's been encouraging them. Since John chapter 13, when we started our series, that he's been encouraging them and talking about the privileges of getting to know him. 
Well, in our study today, Jesus is switching gears, and he's going to begin to talk about not just the privileges of the Christian, but the persecutions that come along with being a Christian as well, the cost of following Jesus. And so here's our big idea for today. Opposition by the world is promised by Jesus. We're going to see that. He's going to, it's going to be a, hey, this is going to happen. And as Christians, you and I will either stumble or stand. You might want to write that down. That's our big idea. That's our main theme of what we're looking at today. Sound good? If you have your Bibles, hopefully you're in John chapter 15, verse 18. That's where we're going to be, John 15, verse 18. And we're going to read down to John 16, verse 4. Okay, so this is the, remember, this is the big moment in our study. This is when, this is more important than, than anything I have to say today is what God has to say. You want God to speak to you? Then let's listen to this as we go through our text. Are you guys done writing that down? No? Okay. Well, pause real quick and I'll let you write that down in just a moment. But what I, first I want you to read with me, John 15 verse 18. You guys there? All right, look in your own Bibles. He says, Jesus continues and says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, title, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. Verse 25. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause for no reason. Verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming, listen to this, that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service, thinks that he's serving God. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. And God in heaven, as we look at these words of Jesus, Lord, we know that they were not only said to the disciples, but, but to us sitting here today, us as followers of Jesus, Lord, that, that these words are applicable, that we will face opposition from the world, hatred, persecution, and even worse, Lord, but you tell us that it is by the Holy Spirit that we will stand and, and testify and bear witness of who you are to a lost and lonely world. 
Father, our prayer today is that we would not stumble in the face of opposition, but we would stand for the name of Jesus. Lord, do this work in us, we ask. In Jesus' name, we pray and we all said? And we all said? Amen. Amen. All right. So this is our big idea today. Um, I'll, I'll leave that up for a moment longer. So do you remember last week how we looked at John 15 verse 11 as our key verse of the study? Do you guys remember that? Well, really cool again, which I was super stoked when I got to read it this week in preparation of today's study, is that we find another one of those great key verses that we're going to stop on and look at before we look at the verses before and after it. Does anyone see similarities between a verse that we read and John 15, 11. There's something that sounds very similar. So John 15, 11 was our key verse last week. Now there's another one that sounds extremely similar this week. Yeah. Nope, not that one. It's in, I'll give you a hint, it's in the 16th chapter. All right, look at verse one. Look at verse one. Our key verse today is John 16, verse one. So last week it says, these things I'm saying to you so that you may have joy. That's what we looked at last week. Our key verse this week is he moves on and he says, these things I've spoken to you and now the purpose, the reason, the intention for writing is that you should not be made to stumble. And so this is the whole theme of what we're looking at today. This is the key verse that why is Jesus saying what he's saying to the disciples, warning them about the hatred of the world, warning them that there's going to come persecution. It's so that when that time comes, they would not stumble. This word stumble is interesting. It refers to the experience of being offended or tripped up that could cause someone to fall away. It's to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. Uh, it's, it's another word is a falling away, that Jesus doesn't want them to fall in the face of opposition. It's kind of like this. You guys ever seen the Olympics before? It's very sad when people fall. It's very sad. I know, I'm showing you another video that's painful to watch. This is that word to stumble. It means to fall. It means to be in a path and then to trip. You could go on. There's hours of these videos on YouTube. Yeah, this one's pretty good. She just fell out of nowhere. Wait, my favorite's coming up though. This one, this guy didn't even do anything. Oh, that one's pretty good. Pretty good stuff, right? So. That's what it means to be made to stumble. It's to fall. It's to be in a path that, that God desires and then to fall off that path. Why is Jesus talking about what he's talking about today? Because he realizes that there is a temptation in the face of opposition to fall away. Other translations translate these words in chapter 16, verse 1, is to be caught off guard and fall away. I am telling you this now so that your faith in me may not be shaken. What is something that could shake the faith of the disciples? Well, it's going to be the opposition that they're going to experience very heavily when Jesus leaves. That this could be something that, if unaware of, could blindside them and would have the potential to throw them off track of the path that Jesus desired them to be on. 
In Matthew chapter 13, verse 20 and 21, this is that parable of the sower. And in these words that Jesus is teaching, he mentions that this is the seed that falls on the stony ground. And notice, it says, but he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. He has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution, opposition arises because of the word, because of what he believes, immediately he stumbles. You see how it's in red? It's in red for a reason. That's the same word that we find in John 16, verse 1. Are you guys tracking today? You guys following? You see, in verse 1, Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm telling you this because when the time comes, I don't want you to freak out. When the time comes that you see opposition then you can know that I've already told you about it. You're already forewarned. Look at verse four in your Bibles, chapter 16. He says, but these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. He's saying, hey, I don't want you to be blindsided. I don't want you to be caught off guard. I don't want you to think that it's something weird when people don't like you for Jesus. He's saying, this is gonna happen. This is why in uh, 1 Peter 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says this. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange, bizarre, why is this happening, concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Peter's like, look, if you're going to stand for Jesus, if you're going to live for him, you will experience opposition. That it shouldn't be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. No, Jesus is saying, hey, this is going to happen. The world will hate you. The world will bring persecution against you. Peter goes on to talk about how there's an actual blessing to those that suffer on behalf of Jesus. But there is a difference between suffering for Jesus and suffering as an evildoer, right? If, you, if, you know, if your parents are like you know, speeding and they get a ticket, just because they're a Christian, they can't just be like, Oh man, the persecution for Jesus. I'm going to get rewards in heaven because I was going 60 on a 40. No, it's not going to happen because it's, it's suffering for the sake of standing for Jesus of what you believe, not for doing something bad that you should get in trouble for. You see the difference? This is why in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, John says, hey, do not marvel. Don't, don't stand back and be like, I can't believe this is happening. If the world hates you, because Jesus told us it would. And does Jesus lie? No, everything Jesus says is truth. And so Jesus here warns. This is why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, that notice all who desire to live godly, meaning that you could live an ungodly life in Jesus. That's scary. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There will be some level of opposition in your life if you are a faithful follower of Jesus. Do you hear me? You need to know this. Jesus thought it was so imperative, so important for the disciples to know this. And before we get into what this really looks like for us today, where we live and what we experience, I want to point out to you what Jesus had to say regarding how the world would react to the name of Jesus and those who live for them. But let's remember 
as we go through this, why Jesus is telling the disciples what he is telling them. It's not to scare them, but it is to prepare them. You guys understand? What I am going to present to you today from what Jesus said, it's not to scare you. It's not to be like, oh my gosh, the world's going to hate me. Oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. No, it is to prepare you so that when that moment comes, you're not blindsided. You're not like that guy who got hit without realizing where that hit was coming from. He wants us to be unshaken. So we're going to look today at the world's reaction. And you can find this in verses 18 through 25, and then also verses 2 and 3 of John 16. And kind of boiling it down so we don't have to go over every word, there was two things that I found in here that, that a believer, one who wants to live a godly life for Jesus, Jesus told his disciples, this is what you will experience. Number one is hatred, that the world hates you. Look at verse 18 in your Bibles. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Do you see that statement, if the world hates you? The implication behind that is that the world does hate you and it will hate you. It's not a question of, oh, well, when that happens, but we are to understand that it hated Jesus before it ever hated us. When we say world, right, the world hates you, what does that mean? Does that mean every person in the world's going to hate you? No. When we talk about the world in the Bible, like verses like, you are not of this world, or verses like, uh, do not love the world or the things in the world, the idea is the world system, how the world works. And guess who is the ruler of this world? Be careful. Who is the ruler of this world? Satan. It is, the Bible says that our world is under the sway of the wicked one, meaning it is referring to the world system apart from who God is. The, the world is people who live their life without God, okay? That, that is what's being referred to here. Now, we see that there is a hostility toward God and those who follow him because Satan is the ruler of this world, right? The word hate here, you might want to note it down, is mentioned seven times in just verses 18 through 25. Hate is mentioned seven times. Now remember, I've taught you before that when the Bible repeats itself, it's of significance because God, the Bible's not terribly large. I mean, it, it is a large book and there's lots of things written, no doubt. But this is for us and for believers the last 2,000 years. And so respectively, it's not that large. And so when the Bible repeats itself, it's important. And especially when it repeats itself seven times. You see, verse 25 tells us that this happened, that this is taking place as a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Meaning that even before Jesus came, the Old Testament talked about that when the Messiah would come, that they would hate him without a cause. It means for no reason. It means the idea is not like they don't have a reason. They'll have their reasons, but their reasons are unjustifiable. Unjustifiable where they can't say Jesus did this and so this is why we hate them. The, the reasons lack any credibility. And so this hatred, of course, leads to the second thing, which is persecution. That makes sense, right? Okay, first is hatred. That's how someone feels, but next is action. And that's the persecution part that Jesus says there, right? Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. That makes sense. 
A servant is not greater than his master. And so the things that the master experiences, the person who follows that master is going to experience those same things. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The word persecute here means to cause to suffer. And this isn't just killing someone. This is emotional, physical. This could be a whole lot of different things in a whole lot of different ways. Persecution is not one thing where it means that you're going to die for your faith. It means opposition to who you are and action taken from it against you. You know, Jesus reminds them that, hey, this is what I taught you before. And Jesus did. He told them about this in many different places that we'll look at later. You see, Jesus even warns them in chapter 16, verse 2, look in your Bibles. He said that this persecution will get so intense for them that they would be considered outcasts in their synagogues, meaning what they were used to and what they grew up in, that those people will cast them out from their presence, not wanting anything to do with them. That it would even get to a point that there would be people going around seeking to murder, yes, murder Christians, thinking that I'm serving God by killing a Christian. Anyone come to mind? Who? Saul, right? I mean, perfect example is Saul. And that literally, Saul is a fulfillment of this very text, I believe, that, that you see that he thought, I'm doing the right thing. And this is what Jesus warned about. Now, thank God, Saul uh, had an encounter with Jesus and life was changed, but did not the 11 disciples experience this? When you read the book of Acts, did they not experience hatred, persecution, and were even killed? Acts chapter 7 is when Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was killed. He was the very first martyr, meaning person that was killed, not because they, you know, they went into a bad neighborhood and they had the wrong color on. No, it's because of his faith. It's because he stood for the name of Jesus that they stoned him. Acts chapter 12, the first of the 11 disciples, uh, 12, but you know, Judas you know, kind of killed himself. But first to be martyred, first to be killed for his faith was James, the brother of John, his very brother, John's brother, who's writing this book. You see, church history tells us that all the other disciples, including Paul, would eventually be killed for their faith. But why? Why those who follow Jesus, why are they going to experience this kind of hatred and persecution and, and sometimes even martyrdom? Well, number one, I want you to write it down. It's because of who they represent. It's because of who they represent. They hate Jesus, they hate God, so naturally they hate his followers. But the second reason that Jesus gives us is because we don't belong here. So it's because of who we represent. He says, look, if you're connected to me, because they hated me, they're gonna hate you. But it's also because you don't belong here that Jesus told them that they were not of this world. You as a Christian are not of this world. Jesus chose them out of this world. Jesus has chosen us out of this world. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, in John 17, 14, which we'll get to in just a couple chapters, it's the conclusion of our series where Jesus prays to the Father. And Jesus prayed this. He's talking to God, the Father, and he says, I have given them, given them your word, and the world has hated them. Why? Look, look up here. Why? Because they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. That the world system, those who are apart from God, 
they will hate, they will not understand because we don't belong here. The reason for this opposition that we will face in the world is because we don't belong here. We are foreigners. We are, the Bible describes us as pilgrims and sojourners. We are not welcome here. What we believe, who we stand for, who we live for is the complete opposite of what the world's goals and principles are. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? What do we do? Opposition's going to come. What I want you to note down is that what I think a key principle of what Jesus is communicating here is not to take it personally, okay? You might wanna write that down. Don't take it personal. You see, we don't need to take it personal because it's not against us. I think that's a key thing that what Jesus is trying to tell him, hey, the world hates you, but it only hates you because of who you represent that you don't need to take it personal. You see, you will experience opposition. We'll talk about what that looks, looks like. It will look different for you, most likely than the early disciples, than it did for Peter or for John or for James. It'll look different for you than it does for other believers in the world. But how do we deal with this? We, we must not take it personally. Jesus wants them to get this, that, that the hatred is not because of who you are, it is because of who you represent. And when you can get that, then the persecution is like, oh, they, you know, they don't, they don't hate me, they hate who I represent, right? Does that make sense? Acts chapter nine, verse four and five, that's where Jesus has that encounter with Paul. And Jesus takes it personally so that you and I don't have to. Remember in that conversation when he's like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Or I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Was Saul persecuting Jesus himself? No, Jesus was in heaven. But Jesus takes it personally. When there is attack and opposition that you face from the world, Jesus says, I take that personally. I take it personally. And God says, I will deal with it. And when you can come to the conclusion that this opposition isn't because of you, but because of who you represent, it's a lot easier to move forward with confidence. You will get tripped up. You will stumble if you take it personally. However, you need to make sure that the opposition that you're experiencing, the hatred, the persecution of whatever kind that might look like for your situation is not because you are offensive. Okay, the truth that you might speak for and stand for and the one you represent might be offensive to someone. The Bible describes truth, the word of God, as being offensive at times, but you're not supposed to be. It's like kind of the illustration I used before. You know, if you're being rude to someone and say you're, you know, and they know you're a Christian and then they, you know, you experience some kind of, you know, someone, someone calls you a name, or, or you get in trouble in some way, just because you're a Christian and because of who you represent, it doesn't mean, oh man, this is persecution. Oh, oh, they hate me. You know, it's because you're acting like a jerk. That's why they don't like you. Do you understand the difference? You can be offensive, but you can, uh, and that's, that's one route, or you can just let what you stand for be offensive, okay? That's one thing, but we are not supposed to be offensive. Does that make sense? But what does this really look like? What does this look like for you? What does this look like for me? You guys are in junior high, right? I hope so. If you're in here, you're at least junior high age around. 
Maybe, maybe we have a, some secret sixth graders or some secret high schoolers in here, but for the most part, what does this look like for you though? What does it look like that you're gonna experience opposition, hatred, persecution? Well, guys, this is where the rubber meets the road. You see, for many parts of the world, many believers have it even worse than the early disciples did, believe it or not. Many countries, it's actually illegal to be a Christian or have a Bible. Did you know that? Many countries are considered hostile towards it. Many believers have churches that are underground. Thousands of Christians, brothers and sisters to you and me, are murdered for their faith every year. If, you're, if you don't believe me or you're interested and you're like, wow, I didn't realize, go to, there's two websites I'm going to give you, all right? Opendoorsusa.com, sorry, .org, Open door, sorry, not open doors, open door, USA.org, or persecution.com, voice of the martyrs, persecution.com or open doors, USA.org. You can go on there and you, they have a list of countries that either it's illegal to be a Christian, literally illegal, like it's a crime and punishable by death, other countries that are hostile towards it, other countries that, you know, are just somewhat on the list, that to be a Christian in, in some of these other countries like North Korea and China and Yemen are intense, intense things. And for years in our country, to be an American was to be a Christian. I don't know if you know that. It was almost like synonymous terms uh, of, uh, of how connected those things were. Now, they weren't actually. But even if you weren't a Christian, if you were an American, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And you're like, oh, do you believe in Jesus? No, but I'm American, so I'm a Christian. It was that closely connected. Our nation was founded by Christians based on biblical principles. However, you and I are now considered a post-Christian nation. That actually Christians from other countries like South Korea, not North Korea, big difference, and South Korea, you know they send missionaries here? Did you know that? People are like, oh man, we need to go and talk to those Americans about the Lord. Go talk to them about Jesus because they're lost. That countries, we are no longer the number one leading sending of missionaries. Missionaries are sent here. You understand? This is the world that we live in now. And we certainly do not experience what the early disciples experienced, right? We do not experience what Christians in North Korea, Yemen, China experience. However, hostility towards Christianity is increasing every day in a variety of ways. Do you know this? A variety of ways. And who knows the things that we will experience in our lifetime as Christians in America. But one thing is clear, we are going to see opposition continue. And most likely, how things look, it's going to continue and it's going to increase. And as a Christian, everyone look at me. As a Christian, you are going to experience hate and persecution to some extent. As of now, as you guys continue closer with Jesus, you will be opposed and you will be challenged for not even necessarily sometimes even speaking out, but just because you're a Christian, they, the world, knows what that represents and they hate it. You will be opposed for your view of marriage between a man and a woman according to the Bible. You will be opposed for your view of only two genders as male and female, you will experience opposition. 
You will be opposed for your view of the roles of a man and a woman according to the Bible. You will be opposed of your view of life and and that of a baby and the womb of a woman. You will be opposed for believing what this book has to say. Losing everything. Do you guys, are you guys getting my drift? And if you don't know this beforehand, you will fall away. You will crumble at the face of opposition. If you think it's going to continue to be an easy thing to be a Christian, you better think again. Don't think it's strange when there comes opposition in these areas where it's like, what? They don't think the same way. No, the world that we live in does not think how you think. That for you, you might be homeschooled and, and or you might be public school, but your home is a place where you guys discuss the Bible. I pray that is how it is. And you talk about these different issues that are going on, but don't think that everyone believes what you believe. You will experience opposition. You experience hate and persecution. Now, I don't know what that might look like for you, but it's, it's coming and it's here and people are experiencing it now to some extent. But, the question that I have is, is why does the world hate Jesus so much? What do you guys think? Why does the world hate Jesus so much? Yeah. Yeah, totally, right? The consequences of, of the claims of Jesus. Yep. Yeah. It's a higher power, right? Yeah, it means that they, they have someone to answer to. He literally talks about it. Look at verse 22 in your Bibles. He says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He says, he, he who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. They hate Jesus because of what Jesus says and what Jesus has done. We know from scripture that Jesus is the light of the world, right? Jesus said of himself, John chapter, can't remember, but earlier in John, he says, I am the light of the world. And his words and his works, they bring conviction to the lives of those who hear and see it. A decision has to be made. And starting, and, and right now in our country, when you say the name Jesus, everyone's listening because there, it is a controversial topic. And you will either be for him or against him. Why do people hate Jesus? Well, this is why. John chapter three, verse 19 and 20. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. You see, the fact that you believe in Jesus and you stand for what Jesus has said and what he has done, it, it is convicting. It means that you, you are, because guess what? You are the light of the world. Matthew chapter five, Jesus doesn't just say he's the light of the world, but now you as his followers, you are the light of the world, but men hate light because light by nature is exposing. It's revealing and it's convicting. 
That's why Paul exhorts those in Ephesus to walk in the light of the Lord. And he tells them this. He says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You see, if you're a believer, this is our role in the world, that we are to expose the unfruitful, meaning no good, works of darkness in every area of life, uncompromised. Rather than stumble in the, in the face of opposition, we are to stand and testify of Jesus. But if you don't determine beforehand who you believe, who you stand for, then in that face of opposition, you will crumble. You will stumble. And so this brings us into our last point today. We saw that key verse, right, of the reason why Jesus is saying these things. He says, I don't want you to stumble. I don't want you to be blindsided. Then we looked at the world's reaction to the Christian, hate, persecution, opposition. And finally, we're going to close with the Christian's resolve, okay, or the Christian's response. Resolve is the idea of, of determination. Well, how do we do it? How does a disciple and follower of Jesus face this? How are we able to endure the hate and persecution for the things that we believe? Well, Jesus told the disciples here in verse 26 and 27. Look in your Bibles. He says, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You see, Jesus told them that I am going to send the Holy Spirit, the helper. And guess what the helper does? He helps. He helps you to be bold. He helps you to stand. They, they wouldn't have to face it alone. Notice the job of the Holy Spirit. Look in your Bibles. Look at verse 26. He says that he, meaning the Holy Spirit, will testify of me. Do you see that word testify? And look again in verse 27. He says, and then you will bear witness. That word testify and bearing witness is the same word. It means to give testimony. It means to speak and act to confirm information about oneself or others. The picture for us, guys, is a courtroom. That to, to bear witness, think about someone, uh, okay, I'm going to call the next witness to the stand. It's someone who is going to stand and speak for Jesus. And the Holy Spirit says, my job, all I have to do, I speak for Jesus. I come and I testify of who he is in your life. And, and he helps you to do the same. That, that then in and through us, that the Holy Spirit enables us to be his witness to in a sense, as the world hurls accusations against us, then we will have the capacity and the ability to get up to the stand to say, you know, and to answer that question, will you tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so I'll be God? Yes, I do. And you're able to get into the stand and you're able to say, this is what Jesus has to say. And it's the Holy Spirit in you to give you that boldness. Rather than stumble, we are to stand in the power of the Holy Spirit for the name of Jesus. Jesus told this to the disciples in Acts 1, verse 8. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And notice, you shall be witnesses. It's the idea of, of standing in court saying, yep, I, I'm, 
I'm standing for Jesus. Witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. A witness is someone who witnesses something. Someone who sees something happen, right? An eyewitness. It's someone who sees something happen and then report on it. This is what we are to do, that you and I are to speak Jesus into the culture and the society in which we live in every arena without, without compromise. The opposition will come but you are to stand for him. And this is only done by the Holy Spirit. In the Beatitudes, part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter five. He said, blessed. He, mean, he means, literally means, oh, how happy. There's a blessing from those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Notice not for doing something evil. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That when you and I experience the opposition in the world, Jesus says you actually will have reason to rejoice though. That there is joy because I see what's happening. God doesn't miss that. When you will experience it from friends and from family and from people that you encounter and you will be made fun of and you will be mocked, and you will actually, you will, even right now with everything going on, I see it. I see friends that I have had that are saying, this is where we draw the line. Because you're a Christian, because you believe what you believe, I don't, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to be around you. This is happening, guys. And this will happen as you, you know you're not always going to be in junior high. Did you know that? That you're going to grow up, be in high school, you're going to be an adult. And the places you go and the things you do, if you stand for Jesus, you will face this kind of thing. But there's a blessing. Why do you think Paul tells the Roman believers in Romans 1.16 to not be ashamed of the gospel? Because in the face of opposition, there will be a temptation to back down. There will be a temptation to be like, okay, well, does the Bible really, does Jesus really talk about that homosexuality is a sin? Does the Bible really back up the case that abortion is an evil sin? And you will have the temptation to begin to question because who wants you to question that kind of stuff? Satan. What did he say to Adam and Eve in the garden? Did God really say? And you will have the temptation to be ashamed for what you believe. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you follow him, I believe that he can embolden you to stand for his name despite the type of opposition that you experience. When Jesus had sent out the disciples two by two. He warned them even then. This is great. Can you guys read that? It's a little small. Can you guys read it in the back? I'll read it for you. It says, he's, he's telling the disciples, this is earlier on, earlier on. He says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You guys ever heard that before? It means we're supposed to be wise and, and stand for Jesus, but we're not supposed to be these offensive, aggressive people. Harmless as doves still. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when, notice, listen, when they deliver you up, don't worry about how or what you should speak. 
For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father who speaks in you. Guys, if you commit now to standing bold for Jesus, no matter what people say, then I believe that the Holy Spirit in that moment will give you the words to say, the attitude to say it. It'll be the Holy Spirit in you working through you, and it will be a testimony to the world for you to stand for the name of Jesus. You see, the disciples weren't just there to suffer through the world's opposition. It isn't for you and I just to be like, I'm just gonna try to get through life. I'm just gonna endure this. Okay, I'll take it. No, it's more than that. Not just to not say anything, but to actually take a stand, to speak bold for who Jesus is and what Jesus did, despite how other people feel about it. Now, we might offend some people, but you and I are not to be offensive. You got that? But we are not to stumble. We are not to back down. You see, I really see only two options and two options only. And it goes back to our very first theme and big idea of of, of everything. The opposition is promised by Jesus. It's promised. It will happen. And as Christians, you will either stumble or stand. We will stumble by the pressure the world puts against us, or we will stand for Jesus and testify to bear witness, to speak, say, no, well, Jesus says this, and this is wrong, that that is evil. To stumble before the world or to stand for Jesus, those are your two options. That's it. Those are your two options as a Christian. Jesus said that we are the light of the world and that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden no matter the consequences. As we close, there's a great story of a man that we find in the gospels regarding someone who Jesus said was the greatest prophet to ever live. Anyone know who that is? Jesus called this man the greatest prophet to ever live. Anyone have any idea? John the Baptist, not John who wrote the gospel, John the Baptist, gnarly dude. He ate, the Bible says that he ate honey and locusts, that he wore camel's hair, gnarly, manly dude. But someone who stood bold for the Lord. There's this moment that you can find in Mark chapter six and Luke chapter three, where the Bible says that that John the Baptist was put into prison. Anyone know who put John the Baptist into prison? Herod, right? King Herod. No, not the King Herod that, that Jesus, that uh, Herod that Jesus tried to kill. Different Herod, a, a different uh, dis- descendant, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and the Bible says that this guy, King Herod, he was an evil king and he was perverse, meaning that, that the things he did were wicked. And one of the things he did was he got rid of his own wife and instead took his sister-in-law, so his brother's wife as his wife. Evil, gross, wicked. And John the Baptist, the Bible, and this is someone who doesn't have to do with Judaism, doesn't have to do with the religion of that time, but John speaks bold and he says, that's evil. He says, that is wrong. And he tells this to the king. Guess what? The king's got a lot of power. And so the king puts him in prison. Eventually, John the Baptist is actually beheaded for his words. But what was he doing? He was standing bold for Jesus. Despite the pressure, despite the opposition, despite the consequences, John the Baptist was willing to die for what he stood on and what he believed. 
How much more you and I as, as followers of Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, guys, you will, you will be opposed. It will happen. But do you want to stand for him? That's the question. And so I want to pray for you guys today. You can hit the lights. I want to give you an opportunity. Um, and I want to pray for you. If God's been maybe speaking to you and, and moving as I trust that he has through his word today, and you, and you might say, I, I want to stand for Jesus. I don't want to stumble. I don't want to give in. I don't want to compromise. Satan will seek to put pressure on you by the world for you to compromise what you believe. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be made to stand. And today, if God's speaking to your own heart and you're saying, yep, I want to stand for Jesus. And, and, and in that, it's not just, okay, I want that. It's I'm going to commit to stand for Jesus despite what kind of pressure, despite how many friends I lose or how many family members hate me or despite what kind of job opportunities I miss or schools I can't go to, I'm not gonna compromise what I believe. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to help me to stand. Then I want you to stand right now, if that's you. And I wanna pray for you. If you wanna commit today, I wanna stand for Jesus. And, and you better mean it. If you stand, you better not just be doing it because everyone else is. You want to do it because you know God's putting something on your heart and you want to stand for him and be made to stand. I just want you to stand. I'll give you a moment. Think about it. It's a decision I don't want you to make lightly. This means you're already a follower of Jesus. This means you're already committed to him. Again, I don't, I don't want you to stand because other people are standing, but I'm gonna give you, I want to give you an opportunity. All right. I'm going to pray for you, okay? God, I pray for these right now that, that are literally standing. Lord, I pray that as they continue in their walks with you, as they continue to pursue you in prayer and in the word and trying to be the men and the women that you want them to become, Lord, I pray as they, maybe right now, maybe they've experienced this. They've experienced backlash from friends or from family because of the things that they believe, because of the relationship they have with you. Lord, would you embolden them not to compromise? Lord, not to be offensive, Lord, but to be unmoving, to be unshaking. Lord, I pray as they continue on in school and into high school in a, in a couple of years and then into college and into whatever that you have for them, into marriage eventually and all these different things, Lord, I pray that they would be as bold as lions. Lord, that's what you, you say in your word, that the righteous are able to be as bold as lions, Lord, that they would do right, not just to do right, Lord, but to honor you. And that in these, in these spheres that are being attacked, Lord, like, like the issue of abortion, like the issue of gender, like the issue of marriage, and all these different things that are hot topics, big issues, Lord, would they put your word above their opinion, above other people's opinion, and would you have the final say in their life? And Lord, that they would not stumble, but that they would stand. And so embolden them now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.